We live today in a fallen world, but we live in light of the founder of our salvation's glorious work. Let us pray. God, as we come to this passage of Scripture, may you grant us the eyes of the heart, the eyes to see what you would have for us today, that, that we would uh, come nearer to knowing of the glories and the realities of the founder of our salvation, the Lord Jesus, and that might give us encouragement as we live in light of this fallen world. Bless us, we pray. Grant me grace and mercy and faithfulness. Grant us faithfulness as we come before this means of grace, the very word of God preached. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, as we continue our study in Hebrews. Where it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor. Put everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the sufferings of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Renee and I had the great privilege to attend the Labrie Fellowship Conference in 1984, uh, just before heading off to seminary, we were at Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church where we were members and the conference was, was held there. Uh, Dr. Schaefer and Mrs. Schaefer would be in attendance at that conference, but as you may know, at that time, Dr. Schaefer was struggling with cancer, very aggressive form of cancer. And so he could only speak one session at night and it was a question and answer. So he would take questions and just give answers uh, right off the cuff, so to speak. And it was just amazing that many of the answers that he gave, not all, but many, had a theme. 
And here's the thing. The problem is sin. We live in a fallen world. And Jesus is the answer. He came to overturn the effects of the fall. As we continue this series in Hebrews, Hold Fast in Christ, we come to the writer of Hebrews answering a question. It's a potential question, actually a potential objection. And let me suggest to you that the way in which the author of Hebrews goes about answering his questions is like the way Dr. Schaefer went about answering many of the questions back in 1984 at that conference, which, by the way, was his last conference. Because just a several months after that, he went home to glory. Here's the potential objection, something like this. If Jesus is superior to the Old Testament Scriptures, as God's final word, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and if Jesus is superior to angels as the Son of God, who is enthroned at God's right hand with his enemies as his footstool, and the angels minister to him by ministering to those whom Jesus saved, chapter 1, verses 5 through 14, and if we are to pay attention to the word that we have heard about Christ, the gospel, so that we don't drift away from it, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, then if all of this is true, in particular if it's true that this Jesus is enthroned in heaven today, then why am I facing persecution? You remember the original audience to Hebrews are Jewish Christians who were facing persecution because of their faith, and they were being tempted to abandon Christ to avoid suffering. We might, and maybe we have, objected similarly. Why am I suffering? Why are our brothers and sisters in Ukraine suffering by facing evil today? The author's answer in our passage, like Dr. Schaefer's answer, the problem is sin. The problem is living in a fallen world, but the answer is Jesus who came to overturn the effects of the fall. He came, he condescended, he came to be made like his brother, brother's incarnation. He came to be the high priest, to make propitiation for our sins. There are your three points. You can find the sermon outline on page eight. First, the founder's condescension, his humiliation, his exaltation, and must not forget his consummation. He's coming back. Don't forget it. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling those Jewish Christians who are facing persecution. What you see today causes you to answer why, but don't forget it. The Lord Jesus is coming back. The story of the Bible begins with God creating everything that exists, including man. Jeff read Psalm 8. It is a psalm that celebrates 
God the Creator. And in particular, it celebrates God creating man as, believe it or not, as the crown of His creation, the pinnacle of His creative work. And all things in creation were to be subject to man. Man was to have dominion. Isn't that what we read in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? And so the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, in verses 6 through 8. And then he gives commentary on the original state of man. Look at verse 8, the second part of verse 8. Now in putting everything, that is everything in creation, in subjection to him, that is in subjection to man, he left nothing outside of his control. That's the original state of man that we find in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But then the author says this, as he's speaking to those Jewish Christians who are facing persecution, as he's speaking to you and me today, by the way, he says also in verse 8, at present, you see the first part of verse 8 was back then, at the beginning, now he says at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Wait a minute, back then, subjection to him at present not subjection to him what happened i'll tell you what happened genesis chapter 3 what do we find in genesis chapter 3 but the fall of man in into sin through adam's disobedience sin came into the world and man became a sinner and the creation was cursed fallen paradise gained in genesis 1 and 2 paradise lost one chapter later in Genesis chapter 3. And now we suffer the effects of the curse of the fall. And here's how Hebrews expresses that reality of at present we suffer the curse of the fall. This is how he puts it in verse 8. We do not see everything in subjection to him. That would we may easily gloss over that, but it's incredibly important to understanding the entire passage before us today. Something has dramatically changed from Genesis 1 and 2 to Genesis chapter 3. All things subject now, not subject. And the problem is sin. And sin resulted in fallenness and living in a fallen world suffering the effects of the curse. Those Jewish Christians living with the threat of persecution. The, the author reminds them, the reason you do, you do not see everything in subjection to man is because of sin that results in you and me and all of us living in a fallen world. But not all is lost. Thankfully, he didn't stop there. Because there's verse 9. So look at verse 9 with me. But we see him. But we see him, namely Jesus. The ideal man. In fact, Psalm 8 is about God creating man as the crown of creation, but it ultimately pours to the ideal man who is Jesus Christ. It ultimately is a psalm about Jesus. And what does the author say about Jesus in these verses? First, he says this, that Jesus was made a little lower than angels. He condescended. 
The author already has affirmed Jesus' deity. The author has already spoken of Jesus' superiority in every way he is reigning today at the right hand of the Father. Verse 9, verse nine points to Jesus' condescension, setting aside his divine rights, in the words of Paul in Philippians 2, 7, emptying himself for the reason of humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2, 8. Jesus condescended. Secondly, we learn in verse 9 that Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering and death. That's a reference to Jesus' resurrection and ascension, his exaltation. He condescended for a while. He died for a while and was buried for a while, but it was for a while, a really short while, because he was raised from the dead. And 40 days later, he ascended back to his rightful place, enthroned, ruling, and reigning and the author says, because of his suffering. Thus, the author proclaims Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Crowned with, he, yes, he condescended, but he also is exalted. Crowned with honor and with glory. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Third, Jesus is returning to restore and to make everything as it should be. That's what, that's what the author really wanted those Jewish Christians to understand. And you know what? That's what we need to understand. Things are not as it should be today. We live in a fallen world. But Jesus is coming again to consummate. Look at verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. See that? Of which we are speaking. You see, the author is speaking of the world to come. Is, is, is causing us, causing our gaze to be set way into the future when the Lord Jesus comes again to consummate and and to bring in full the world to come, our destination as his people. That is the world of which they are speaking, the world to be when Christ returns and consummates all things, when he will be confessed by all, Jesus is Lord, Philippians 2 and verse 11. And in that world to come, everything will be as it should be, including you and me, all mankind in Christ, being made again the perfect image bearers of God without sin and with dominion. We will share in Christ's reign. The author of Hebrews told the Jewish Christians facing persecution, live considering the realities of the fall but see the realities of the, of the panorama of the history of Jesus' redemption. He condescended. He was exalted. 
and he's coming again to consummate all things. Now we see man struggling under the curse. We see people with disease. Schaefer had cancer that would eventually consume him. These Jewish Christians are facing persecution. Many Christians today are facing persecution, big problems. But this text calls us, but now see him, the answer, the founder, the one who condescended, the one who was exalted, the one who will come again to consummate and make all things as they should be. And actually make things as they should be and better. Why better? Because in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Adam still had the capacity to sin. As sin, as we know, he sinned. But in the world to come, we will not have the ability to sin. I would say that's a better world. Even than the Garden of Eden. We live under the curse of the fall, but we do so in light of the realities of the Lord Jesus Christ, the founder of our salvation. Second, Jesus will overturn the effects of the fall by being made like his brothers, the, the incarnation. Solidarity. I mean, human history is replete with examples of solidarity movements. So the, the, the civil rights movement in our country, there was solidarity around that movement. We, we, we think of the solidarity movement in Poland in the 80s. There was great solidarity of the, of the labor union during that time. But there's no solidarity movement that even can match the solidarity movement of the second person of the Trinity condescending to take a human nature to be like his brothers. He humbled himself verse 17a, to be made like his brothers in every respect. God the Son became incarnate, took a full and real human nature. Can you believe that? That's what the scriptures teach. That's what we believe. That's a tenet of biblical Christianity. John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the author's point in verses 10 through 17 is this. In, in verse 10, the author says, For it was fitting, it was necessary that Christ condescend in order to take a human nature like you and me, to have that solidarity with us, with, with his brothers, in order that he might bring many sons to glory, the text tells us, that he may save. He had to be like one of us in order to redeem us from our sin. Jesus, the founder of salvation, was made perfect through suffering, verse 10, referring to his perfect work in sanctifying, making holy those united to him in saving faith, his brothers. And because Jesus came to save and to be like his brothers in order to save them, the text tells us he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Think about this. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or call you his sister. What a blessed reality that is. You may be ashamed to call me your friend, but Jesus isn't ashamed to call me his brother. Let that sink in. 
And the author appeals to Psalm 22, which is another psalm that points to Jesus' suffering and resurrection to support the fact that Jesus came to call and save his brothers by identifying with them. And so the reason Jesus partook of the same things, flesh and blood, verse 14, the reason he came to take a real human nature, the text tells us, that he might destroy the power of death and the power of the devil for his brothers. That's what Jesus has done for you and me. Verse 15, to free his brothers living in fear in this fallen world from lifelong fear of death. That's what Jesus has done for you and me. Verse 16, his, his solidarity was to help, not to help the angels, but the offspring of Abraham, God's elect people, his brothers and sisters. Therefore, the text tells us, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. I mean, this is one of the foundational tenets of the Christian faith, that the second person of the Trinity is one person with two natures, fully divine and fully human. He had to be fully human in order to pay for his brother's sin. He had to be divine for that sacrifice to be of infinite value and efficacy. That's what Jesus has done. And the author is encouraging those Jewish Christians who are struggling, facing persecution, not to abandon the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus passed right by the angels to come down to earth to be like his brothers in order to eternally help them. He was made like you and me in every respect. And how did he help them? Why was he incarnate? Why was that necessary? That's the third point. Jesus condescended to be made like his brothers to atone for their sins and to satisfy, satisfy God's justice for them. Propitiation is the big theological word. The Old Testament priest represented God's people in that mediatorial role, the, the, the in-between. The, the priest's back was to the people, facing God, representing the people God. The Old Testament priests would then offer sacrifices for the people. But that Old Testament priesthood, that Old Testament sacrificial system was designed to point to the priest and the sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews in verse 17 tells us the reason for Jesus being made like his brothers is to be the merciful and faithful high priest. As our confession, profession of faith reminded us there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the author of our faith. And here the Hebrews will continue this theme of the mediatorial work of Christ in chapter 9, verse 15, and chapter 12, verse 25 and 24, where Jesus will be that, that mediator of a new covenant. So we'll pick up on this theme once again. But the author further states, Jesus, Jesus is not only that high priest, but he's also the sacrifice that he offers. The text tells us that he sacrificed himself in order to atone for our sin and to satisfy God's judgment. And that's what propitiation means. Atonement of sin, satisfying God's justice so we do not have to pay for our sin. 
The author brings the Jewish Christians who face persecution for their faith to see their physical life might be required of them as they seek to remain faithful to Christ. But Jesus came and gave his life for them that the power of death and Satan would be destroyed for their eternal life, for their eternal good. And so we rejoice with this saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. That really is what the author of Hebrews wanted these Jewish Christians to have in their hearts and minds, the reality of Jesus' victory for them, a victory that means though they die, yet they will live. Dr. Schaefer told us at that uh, 1984 conference about his issue with cancer and as he was talking about that he made a statement that basically said in his view that one of the greatest weaknesses of the evangelical community people like you and me is that in his judgment Christians do not live in light of the fall and Schaefer recounted some of the encounters that he had had, Schaefer with cancer, being treated at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And while being treated there for his cancer, he would interact with Christians, and sometimes the Christian would just find out of the diagnosis cancer. And they would ask Schaefer, why? Do I have cancer? How can this be? Why has this happened to me? And this is how Schaefer explained it. The most basic answer to the why question is to remind them, and by the way, to remind us of the fall. We live in a fallen world. Lots of things in this world we do not like. Schaefer said, I don't like my cancer. I just don't like it. But on the other hand, I have to live with it in the light of the reality of the basis of a fallen cause and effect world. But what struck me as Schaefer said this, and now in hindsight we know that he only had a few more months to live, yet struggling with a very aggressive cancer, he was at that conference. He was still serving the Lord. He was still encouraging God's people. Even being treated for cancer in the hospital, he was interacting with other Christians and representing Christ to them and encouraging them to what? Hold fast in Christ. How could the Jewish Christians to whom Hebrews was written live in light of the fallenness 
all around them as they face severe persecution and still hold fast in Christ. How can any of us live in light of the fall and yet hold fast in Christ? How can our brothers and sisters in the country of Ukraine today, under a severe test facing extreme evil, yet hold fast in Christ today? How can we live realistically understanding the fallenness of this world, but yet have joy and hope and power to hold fast in Christ? And there's one answer, and it's given in verse 18. Look at verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The author's point is to encourage us that Jesus has experienced all that this fallen world has to throw at anyone. He suffered it all for us. He knows what it's like to live in a fallen world. He knows our frame. He knows our spiritual infirmities. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what it is to be tempted. He was tempted by Satan himself. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He has walked in our shoes. He's probably the only one that truly can have both empathy and compassion. We'll read later in Hebrews chapter 12 of Jesus being what I call the trailblazer. He has blazed the trail right through this world to heaven itself. He knows why. Because he's our merciful and faithful high priest who offered himself as a propitiation for our sins. He is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help those who are struggling with the effects of this fallen world. He is able to help those who have cancer and are in fear of death. He is able to help those who are struggling with opposition, who are encountering persecution, who are facing the evil, all the evil that this fallen world has. He understands it all and he's able to help. What the writer of Hebrews is saying to those Jewish Christians who need help, he's saying to you and me today who need help. Because we live in the same fallen world as the first century. And Jesus has the mercy that we so desperately need. And so if you want to know an implication for all that has been said this morning from this text, here's the implication. It's simply this. Flee to Jesus, who condescended to identify with you and me, his brothers and sisters, who perfectly suffered a death for us to atone for our sins and to satisfy God's justice, who ascended, crowned with glory and honor, and who is coming back to consummate all things that things would be made as they should be. Would you flee to him, the great high priest, 
that's how we hold fast in light of this fallen world. We flee to Jesus for mercy, for compassion, for help, for all that we need to hold fast in him until that glorious world to come when all things will be as they should be. Let us pray. Father, give us the strength and the humility and the grace that we need to ever flee to you, our merciful and faithful high priest who made propitiation for our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.